I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Greetings, adventurers. Today, we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The Shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. of Suicides Created by Alex Dolan So, my mom is a model and the stage lights are blinding Behind them, I can only make out the faint outlines of people When the man in the audience shouts I only have a vague sense of where he might be sitting. At first, I ignore it. Fuck, though. He's derailed me. I was in the middle of a joke. Oh, a joke. Oh, right. So, my mom is a model, and I'm what came out of her. We're both pretty pissed about it. I always say to my mom, I don't like it any more than you do. I feel like if there was a master chef for mothers, my mom would have been booted off the show. <laughs> Miss Otomo, we gave you all the ingredients and can't fathom how you ended up with this. The taste, the presentation, it's all wrong. <laughs> he shouts again, 
This time the crowd is spooked. He's too loud to ignore. Finnies, come on, baby, show us your tits! God help us all. That guy, for every band that's had a heckler shout, Freebird! A female comic has had someone demand to see her boobs. It's not funny, and it's not original. But I have to pretend it's both. If I'm too mean to him, I might lose the room. I put on my serious face, marbleizing my features and letting the humor drain out from my expression. Sir, I don't know if you can tell, but I just had a double mastectomy. I wait a few beats for this to sink into the audience, for the energy to siphon out of the room and the tension to build. Once the place is a vacuum, I say, Just kidding, but you feel like shit now, right? Good, you should feel like shit. Making fun of someone who doesn't have cancer? <gasps> Can you believe she pretended to have cancer? Some lines just shouldn't be crossed. The crowd is with me again. But the guy doesn't take the hint. <laughs> Show us your boobies! Now my set has totally gone off the rails. I'm pissed, but I can't show it. At least the crowd's with me. I've seen some versions of this guy enough. And as if we all didn't hear the second time. Come on, baby, show us your tits! Ugh, so demanding. You gotta love a man who knows what he wants. In this case, it's Asian pancakes. I give him a thumbs up from the stage. Good choice, sir. I end up resorting to a bit I've done before. I try not to use it too much because it's the surprise that gets people. And what are my options? This guy doesn't seem like he's going to shut up and I don't feel like kicking him out. In a way, I don't have the clout to kick him out. I'm only the MC tonight. After me come two more acts and the headliner. Can't create too much tension now. All right, you really want to see them? I've made a habit of bringing props with me, just in case. Tonight, they're coming out. You win. I take the mic off the stand. Gotta give the people what they want. I start to hike up my tank top. I have a respectable stomach, so it gets some oohs and ahs. I can't tell if any of the hooting and hollering is coming from my heckler, but at least the mood is all going in the same direction. I tease them a bit. It's all about the timing. I run a finger playfully up my stomach and around my navel, in a way that titillates but doesn't turn my set into burlesque. I raise a finger to my lips to shush them, letting them know that whatever happens next in this room, it will all just be part of our collective secret. What happens at the punchline stays at the punchline. Then I walk to the edge of the stage, where I snatch my props from my purse. I'm fluid as a magician. At first, the crowd doesn't know what they're seeing. I'm palming two small spheres in one hand and mounting the microphone back on the stand. A few clever ones have figured it out, and I can hear them tittering a few moments before the rest of the crowd catches up to the joke. I hold up two teardrop-shaped sacks filled with silicone gel and squish them in my hands. Here you go, there they are. Aren't they gorgeous? The moment the crowd realizes they're watching me squeeze breast implants, I get a smattering of applause, a few whistles. I'll admit it's a work in progress, but they already make me feel like more of a woman. It's a cheap laugh, but they seem to like it. 
And it does actually shut up the dildo who's been heckling me. The stage light flashes red and I wrap it up. All right, are you ready for your next act? The comic after me is Derek, a friend, and he plays off my bit when he takes the stage. Haven, stop stealing my testicular implants. We don't hear from the obnoxious guy again. I sneak out through the green room and circle around the perimeter of the hall until I'm at the back of the house. At the bar, I listen to Derek's set. Other comics are hanging out here, and they give me a nod as I grab a beer. We don't laugh much, but instead listen intently to our colleague. We're students in an unorthodox classroom and intently monitor what's happening under the stage lights. Someone whispers in my ear. Your act was revealing. I cringe. This is why I sometimes avoid going out among the people. There's always someone who will approach me, and as much as I try to be polite, with the amount of hedge fund douches and tech bros in this town, eventually I have to be mean just so they'll take the hint. When I look, it's Wesley. I'm sure I look startled, and I'm sure I can't hide my glee. Do you have a second? I don't want Wesley to walk out on me again, and I know Derek has another 15 minutes, so I tug Wesley's cuff to follow me. As discreetly as we can, we walk along the perimeter of the room and outside onto the roof deck of the Embarcadero Center. The punchline is a few stories up, at the top of an office building. I like it up here. It's quiet and, at night, downtown San Francisco is lit up like a planetarium. You walked out on me. You walked out on me first. I tried to find you. I walked up and down Graham, but you weren't there. Wesley keeps his hands in his pockets in an aw shucks posture. We're both nervous. Neither of us wants to screw this up. I was in the alley. When he shoots me a dubious look, I remember the name of the bar. Uh, the actual alley on the side of the building, not, you know, the alley. Anyway, thanks for coming. This is so sweet. How did you know I'd be here tonight? Haven Otomo? Not that hard a name to look up. <gasps> Aww, you internet stalked me? You post your show dates. And I suppose you just happened to be in the neighborhood? Oh, not at all. <laughs> I live in Oakland, remember? It was actually quite inconvenient for me to come here. I had to take Bart and everything. I'm sure I'm blushing. Good thing it's dark out. I like your set. I don't just mean, you know, the implants. How much do a pair of those set you back? Those? Uh, about 70 bucks. I have to admit, they feel pretty good, too. It's fun squeezing them. They're like stress balls. They calm me down when I squeeze them. <laughs> That's why I do it. So, I guess I need to internet stalk you, too, Wesley Pope. Uh, I'm a little hurt you haven't already. <laughs> it's on, then. Let's see who can outcreep the other. The winner gets an unannounced visit to their front door. Are fire escapes fair game? I'm getting comfortable talking to him. But I can't get too comfortable. I'm still emceeing tonight's show. I, I need to get back inside in a minute. Can you hang out after the show? Oh no. I got an early morning. I usually get up at 4 a.m. to get him a run. and Of course I can hang out after the show. He has me smiling like a moron. All right. You have two more comics to go through. 
Can you hang in there? If tonight continues to be prosthetic night, count me in. He keeps his hands in his pockets and maintains a respectful distance. He knows it's not the right time to sneak a kiss. It makes me want to kiss him more. I'll see you in there. He backs away, grinning, and slips back through the entrance, leaving me alone on the roof deck. When I'm sure he can't see or hear me, I raise my fists in the air like I just scored a soccer goal. Yes! Back in the club, Derek wraps up his set. I walk past the bar and make my way around the perimeter of the room to the side of the stage. There, I'm partially blinded by the stage lights, but they're not shining directly in my eyes, so I have a better view of the people in the crowd. I can even make out faces from here. I look for Wesley. I think I see him at the back of the bar. The fedora makes him easy to spot. Right before I have to go back on stage, I see the man next to Wesley at the bar. It's another familiar face, but not a welcome one. Curly hair and glasses. I don't know how long he's been there, but he's definitely there now. I'm not hallucinating. David Cohen. The man I never want to see again is scowling right at me. Blossom and Gibson walked down a different set of train tracks in Oakland. They were maybe a few miles from the first site, but this wasn't a freight route. These tracks ran passenger trains to and from Jack London Square, right on the water. A patrolman was staking out the perimeter of the crime scene and rolling out the yellow tape. They shuffled through gravel that spread out from the tracks to a chain-link fence. Blossom didn't see any holes in the fence this time, but there was no razor wire on top either. Maybe he hopped the fence. Maybe he just walked a few minutes from 2nd Street. This particular train was just minutes from arriving at Jack London, heading north from Los Angeles. Just outside where the commercial strip began, the locomotive collided with the person in the tracks. Gibson and Blossom interviewed the conductor, who was more shaken up than the driver of the first train. He had more to offer as well. There was no fog in Oakland this morning, and dawn had broken so we got a clear look at the young man kneeling between the rails. He had his nose in his hands like he was praying. We jammed the brakes as soon as we saw him. We were were going too fast to stop. No one, no one could have stopped in time. We had horns blowing and we were shouting at him, trying to wave him off. All of us were trying to do what we could to save the guy, but he didn't want saving. He definitely knew we were coming, and he wouldn't budge. Because this train had struck the young man with less velocity than the first, more of the body remained intact. They found one disarticulated forearm, but most of the corpse lay in a single heap. This meant there was at least something of a body to examine. Of course, the figure had been wrecked by the impact, but they still could identify the body of a young African-American male, early 20s Blossom guest. The skull had warped like a rotting pumpkin, but Blossom could still make out features. The man lay on his back with his face frozen in anguish, caught in the moment of terror and pain. They found fragments of a cell phone, which hadn't fared as well in the collision, but they still retrieved the SIM card in the gravel. At least this time, the ME wouldn't have to pluck it out of the dead man's organs. For some reason, 
Seeing the body in this condition was worse for Blossom than when they had discovered Kevin DeCampo, because this looked more like a body, and hence, more like a person. He thought about the family he would have to inform, and this made Blossom think about his son, even though the young man at his feet was a decade older. He stooped down, and with a pen, probed the front pocket of the young man's jeans. He's got something in here. Blossom stuck a gloved hand into the young man's pocket and pulled out a wallet. It was camel brown, with hand-carved floral designs in the leather, remarkably intact. Handcrafted, not cheap. At least we know he cared about appearances. Do you know a 20-year-old man who doesn't? None of the evidence had formed a story, and Blossom felt frustrated by the puzzle. A second body on the train tracks ruined most of their theories about Kevin Acampo. Hmm. I'm trying to work with you on this. Can you not shoot down every idea I have? Sorry. Blossom delicately pried open the wallet. He found $32 and two pennies stuffed in the fold. So we know he wasn't robbed. A condom was tucked in a side pocket. Romeo or optimist? Blossom cracked a smile. He fingered through the plastic in the credit card slots. Loyalty cards from Safeway, Target, and Ross dressed for less. Stuffed into the corners of the cash compartment hit crumpled receipts, most from Starbucks. Venti iced mocha frappuccino on all of them, sweet tooth. It was a wonder the man was so skinny. There was a receipt for the Skechers factory outlet and the KNG fashion superstore on East 9th. Probably another Fruitvale kid. At the back, he pulled out the single credit card, a visa embossed with the name Clay Ransom on it, and a photo of a man in his 30s. Gibson asked the obvious question. Any chance these would both be suicides? Personally, I doubt it. But we can't rule it out. It could be a copycat suicide. While he had trouble believing this himself, he had to tease out all the options before dismissing them. How does this change all of our potential motives? I'm guessing we can rule out accidental death, right? Right. Could this have been a dare? Unlikely to see a dare go wrong twice in exactly the same way. Depression? Maybe. But the fact that this kid was posed in the same way as Kevin Ocampo makes me think this might be some kind of ritual. Maybe ritual is too strong a word. Thoughts were swimming in his head, and he tried to pluck out his most critical question. I wonder if someone told him to get into this position. So, gang initiation? Possibly, but I don't think so. Not after Kevin Acampo died. However hardcore the initiation, you want someone alive at the end of it. After Kevin Acampo was killed, I can't imagine someone would have tried that stunt a second time, especially so soon. Execution, then. Blossom pivoted to look around the scene to see if he could spot any surveillance equipment. No cameras? No cameras, but the train crew said they didn't see anyone other than the young man on the tracks. That doesn't mean they weren't there. You keep saying that. He looked around for a possible hiding place. Across a field of gravel, a barrier of ribbed steel interrupted the chain-link fence. Graffiti tags swarmed over half of it, and a mural covered the other half. Blossom was struck by the mural's beauty. It featured a young African woman, her face cradled in a golden halo, hair wrapped in a traditional duke. A surreal landscape was suspended around her. Purple tentacles and translucent egg sacs filled with the embryos of future Africans, mixing science fiction imagery with traditional Christian iconography. Blossom recognized the style. The same artist who went by the name BZSHP, pronounced Bishop, painted other murals throughout Oakland. Blossom saw a gap where the wall ended and the fence resumed. Plenty of room for someone to hide, he thought. 
and not a bad place to make a quick exit. Lots of debris over there, too. He'd have to take a closer look. Blossom wondered if they would find another Lucha Libre mask. He took another pass through the wallet and found a license. In the photo, the young man wore a sly, cocky smile. According to the card, he was 21 years old, and his name was Sutton Chambers. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.